today we are starting a brand new series called Christmas Profiles. And today's focus is on a man named Joseph, not the Joseph, the patriarch, who's the grandson of Abraham, but Joseph, who is the husband of Mary and the adoptive father of Jesus. Now, I've often wondered about Joseph. I, I, he sort of gets overlooked in a lot of the story. But if, have you ever thought about the life of Joseph and what he had to go through, what he had to endure, and then how God used him in the story of the coming of Jesus? Because uh, I've, I've often asked the question, you know, what would it be like to be a stepdad? Because I've never been a stepdad or I've never been an adoptive father. Well, what would it be like to be in a blended family? Now, I know what it's like to be adopted, but I've never been an adoptive father. In 1967, my stepdad, or my, who became my adoptive father, Richard Sweeney, he married my mom. And he, when he married my mom, he got three boys in the, in the bargain. So my, my take on the, the marriage is he married her anyway. <laughs> so, but he got a two and a three and a four-year-old son you know, two, three, four-year-old Joe, Jim, and Jeff right there in the bargain in 1967 when he went to the altar and married my mom. And so, and then a few years later, when we were living in Oklahoma and my dad was in the army station at Fort Sill, we took a trip to Oklahoma City and my stepdad, Richard Sweeney, legally adopted us into his family to be his father. So I often joke to Lisa, I said, I was born Jimmy Stewart. But now I became Jim Sweeney because of adoption, being adopted into his family. So, and I'm grateful for that. My dad was a good provider. He took good care of us kids. So what is it like to be an adoptive father? Uh, before we get in the message any further, just let us bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending Jesus. And the way that you sent him is so unique. The only person who ever entered this world miraculously and left this world miraculously is Jesus. And we want to understand that story in more depth and how you use that miracle and how you called human beings to follow you and to believe that which was unexpected, to believe that which was almost incredible and, and blew their minds. Uh, Lord, help us to understand that story and to figure out how we can be more like those people who responded to you in faith and in obedience. When we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. There's a professor uh, who's at a Christian university in Arkansas, and he is an adoptive father himself. His name is Professor Joseph Dodson, and he writes this about his experience uh, being an adoptive father. He says, I feel this burden to be a good Christian parent. The burden is heavy enough for my own four children, but the parenting burden is, is compounded with my fifth child whom we adopted. So they had four natural kids and then child number five was adopted. The burden is, is, was heavy enough and he says, with my new son Caspian, I constantly doubt myself. My fears are increased by the disapproving looks and whispers I get from my small town neighbors Whenever they hear my black son call me dad, am I being a good dad to Caspian? When he grows up, will he appreciate or we, will he, heaven forbid, will he resent me? What do I need to do in order to be the father that he never had? 
I think about that story and I think about Joseph, the, who became the husband of Mary. I wonder if Joseph ever struggle, struggled with similar doubts as he raised his adopted son, Jesus. Jesus Emmanuel, Jesus God with us, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. What was it like for Joseph? The name Joseph means God will give the increase. And that signifies the blessings that God bestows on anyone who's willing to obey him. So we begin this story. We're in Matthew's gospel, the first book in the New Testament. Uh, there are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is the first one. And this is a gospel that is written primarily to people of Jewish background who are wondering if Jesus really is the Messiah, how is that true? So it's written to a Jewish audience. And uh, the story begins with Joseph, and he comes into the scene with an unwelcome surprise. Surprise! <laughs> this is the new birth of, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. So Mary and Joseph are now engaged. They had not married yet. They haven't consummated the marriage. It says, because before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. That realization, that news that Mary was pregnant uh, and they weren't yet married must have been quite a shock to Joseph. Mary had a reputation for being a young woman of high, sterling character. So how could this have happened? So we continue the story down in verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, because he was faithful to the law, and yet he did not want to expose her, talking about Mary, who is now pregnant, not with his child. He didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. And so it says something about the character of Joseph that he didn't want to expose Mary to public disgrace. He loved Mary, and Joseph's uh, engaged fiance, her story that she told him about this angel that appeared to her and her pregnancy being a miracle that was from God through the Holy Spirit, this story on the human level to Joseph sounded absolutely preposterous. I mean, who had ever heard of such a thing? Has anything like this ever happened before? Of course, the answer was no. Has anything ever happened like this again? And contrary to the stories of perhaps a few young women, no, it's never happened. <laughs> it's never happened again that way. Joseph loved Mary. He must have been incredibly hurt and disappointed to hear the news of her pregnancy. And yet, because Joseph was righteous and because he loved Mary and he didn't want to shame her openly, Joseph knew that there was a law that any law-abiding Jewish man could employ. He could have cited uh, a passage from Deuteronomy chapter 24, and there was a command there from Moses saying that if somebody's wife displeased him, he could issue a certificate of divorce. If she has done something that was sinful or that was ungodly, he could have written her a certificate of, of divorce. And you might pause there and you say, well, wait a minute. I thought they were engaged to be married. How can you divorce somebody you're not married to? Well, in the Jewish culture, the engagement was so strong and so powerful. There, were, there was a bride price. There was a dowry. Uh, they were, there was a, a ceremony where they actually took what looks like communion together. Uh, and when the, the bride-to-be or when the fiancé, if she accepted the marriage proposal, when the, when the fiancé would hand her the cup of wine, she would take a drink from that cup saying, I accept your proposal. 
So this was such a powerful engagement that in order to break the engagement, it was considered as, as necessary and powerful to have a certificate of divorce. So if Joseph did that, he could have done that to Mary. He could have sent her on her way as an in, indecent woman. He could have demanded a refund for the bride price he paid at the time they were engaged. And without anybody begrudging Joseph, he could easily have abandoned Mary and gone on to find another wife of a higher reputation so that his own reputation in the community would not be sullied. If Joseph did that in that culture, Mary would have been shamed for the rest of her life. And so Joseph didn't want to shame her, no matter how it was, no matter what she said or how it was that she actually became pregnant. So this unplanned pregnancy put Joseph in a really tough place. If he didn't expose Mary as an adulteress, what would people in Nazareth think? What would they whisper about him if he married her? What would he whisper about him and them as he walked by? Joseph must be the father. Obviously, he didn't wait until they were married. Joseph isn't such a righteous man after all. He's a dishonorable man. And that reputation that Joseph had for being a righteous man in the community, that would have been lost. So Joseph is, is in, he's between a rock and a hard place and, he, and he's trying to make a decision on this and he's asking, you know, what is the right thing to do? So he said, well, I'll just divorce her quietly. I won't put her in public disgrace and we'll try to move on with our lives. And this is where God intervened. This is where God himself sent an angel to speak to Joseph. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David. See, Joseph was of the line and lineage of David through uh, the tribe of Judah. It says, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And the angel went on. So this, this uh, pregnancy that Mary had, it was miraculous. It wasn't Mary's uh, disgrace or shame. It was done by God. It was through the Holy Spirit. And uh, the angel goes on and says, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Jesus is from the uh, Hebrew Yeshua or where we get the name Joshua. And Jesus means God saves. He says, so you give him the name Jesus when this son will be born because he will save his people from their sins. Now that's a unique title. I mean, there's the name Jesus, but then there's also this idea that Jesus is going to be born. He's going to be Messiah and he's not just going to be any man. He's not even just going to be a prophet. He is going to be the one who saves his people from their sins. So uh, it's, it's so interesting. I think Joseph's mind in the dream was, was kind of blown at that point because what a mind-boggling idea to think that someone else was the child's father, but that someone else was God himself. Wow. I mean, absorb that. I think Joseph awoke from his dream feeling it perhaps excited, per perhaps, you know, destiny is now knocked on his door and his life is going to change forever. I think Joseph also awoke from his dream, maybe feeling a little embarrassed for discounting the true story that Mary had told him. He must have felt like an unbelieving jerk. That's the way I would have said it. <laughs> but when the revelation that God came when the revelation from God came to him, this is what I like about Joseph. Joseph rolled with the punches. He said, oh, this is the way it is. Okay, 
It's time to reorient my entire life to this new reality. He accepted the new reality. He adjusted his life accordingly. And above all, and the reason he did this was because Joseph was committed to live a life pleasing to God. It says right when you start in Joseph's character, he was a righteous man. He was a just man. He dedicated his life to pleasing God. Now, he's just stopped there and say, well, what about you? Have you dedicated your life to pleasing God? Do you have that same spirit that Joseph had? And if you got an unexpected curveball in life that puts you way, way out of your comfort zone, if you sensed, however, even though it was uncomfortable, that God was in this and that he is calling you to do this extraordinary thing, are you ready to make the necessary adjustments so that you can keep following God the way he wants you to? Are you ready to make that adjustment? The angel goes on and he says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. It happens to be the prophet Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us, not just God over us. You remember when God called the children of Israel to follow him and he was ready to sign the covenant with him and he was up on the mountain and the mountain was full of lightning and thunder and smoke and the people could not go up on the mountain. Only the Lord's only chosen prophet could go up on the mountain to speak with God and that man's name was Moses. And then Moses would speak to God in God's presence. Then Moses would come down from the mountain and said, okay, folks, this is what God says. So it was God over us, but now God is, is moving in a brand new way and he is going to enter into and become a part of his creation as a human being. The word became flesh and lived for a while among us and his name is gonna be called Emmanuel, God with us. So what does Joseph do? Well, he's obedient to the vision, right? When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. So now Mary continues with her pregnancy. They're now this new, newly married couple. And what happens, you guys know the story. There's a, the Roman emperor says, hey, I think I want some more tax money from the Roman Empire. So he says, what's the great way to get some taxes? You make everybody go to their own hometown and register for the census. So we see what the population is in the Roman Empire. And oh, by the way, there's a registration fee for the census. So everybody has to go to their own hometown. So Joseph and Mary, who are up in Northern Israel and Galilee, now they have to travel all the way down to Bethlehem in Judea, which is just five miles south of Jerusalem. And they have to register for the census. There's a scene from the movie, The Nativity. I love this movie. It's my favorite, one of my favorite Christmas movies because it's so accurate biblically. And in this movie, The Nativity, Joseph and Mary are now by themselves on their way down on that journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And there's a kind of a touching scene where they speak to each other and start thinking about the future together. Oh. He's moving. You've never really told me of your dream. 
Pedrinho. No, please. Tell me. The angel came to me and he told me the child within you had been conceived by the Holy Spirit and that I should not be afraid. Are you afraid? Yes. Are you? Yes. <laughs> Do you ever wonder when we'll know? No, no one. When he's more than just a child? Will it be something he says? A look in his eye? I wonder if I will even be able to teach him anything. I don't know if you heard the audio clearly, but Joseph said to Mary, he said, I wonder if I will even be able to teach him anything. Now you think about somebody who says, God himself is going to become a human being through this child, through this baby to be born of the Virgin Mary, and he's going to be God in the flesh. Can you imagine Joseph says, if he's God, I don't care if he's a little baby or not. He must know everything. He must be able to do everything. He had no idea, the idea that, that Jesus would be fully God, 100% and fully man, you know, one being with two natures. And in that human nature, Jesus would have to learn. He would have to develop. He would have to grow. And that's why it says in Luke's gospel in chapter two, it says, so Jesus grew in wisdom and stature in favor with both God and man. That Jesus had to grow and develop as a human being. But Joseph was thinking, like, I wonder if I'm even going to be able to, to teach anything to Jesus. Uh, doesn't say much else about Joseph in the story. There's another story that we're going to get to in just a moment. But it doesn't give a lot of detail about Joseph's life and character. And I suppose that that's one of the purposes of these gospel writers. They write these under-narrated stories. They don't give you every detail on the plot line. And sometimes that mobilizes our imagination to wonder uh, how we might fill in the missing gaps of information. It looks like Joseph and Mary, by the way, after Jesus was born, Joseph and Mary had children of their own. In Matthew's gospel in chapter 13, it says that four brothers of Jesus were there with their mother Mary and his sisters, plural. So there were at least two sisters as well. So apparently Joseph and Mary had six at children at least after Jesus was born. The family, when they went back to Nazareth, they must have looked quite normal except for that oldest boy, Jesus. Joseph had to exercise a great deal of faith and courage to continue his relationship with Mary. His decision to stay married meant that Joseph was going to have to endure, as did Mary, for the rest of their lives they were going to have to endure the ridicule and the gossip of neighbors, relatives, and other people in their community who rejected this idea that there was a miraculous conception and they believed that, that Joseph had just married a pregnant fornicator. I think at some point Jesus realized the underlying contempt and criticism that his father Joseph heard and put up with. 
And it probably impressed Jesus just how his earthly father, Joseph, could hold his tongue or hold his temper or take an insult without retaliating. This is one thing I want to say to all of us that, that I admire about Joseph, because the strength of what we believe is measured by what we are willing to suffer for that belief. Let me say that one more time. The strength of what you and I believe is measured by how much we are willing to suffer to defend that belief. And so after Jesus is born in Bethlehem, uh, they're there in Bethlehem for a while. They go up to Jerusalem. They dedicate Jesus to the Lord. Jesus is circumcised. They're back in Bethlehem. We now have the visit from the Magi, the wise men from the east. And right after that visit, it says this in, in Matthew's gospel. It says, when they or the Magi had gone and the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. So this is now the second dream that God had given to Joseph. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Wow, that's, that's some disturbing news. And so what did Joseph do? What's Joseph's character? If God speaks to him, what's he going to do? He's going to be obedient to the vision. So he got up. He took the child and his mother during the night, and they left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. Herod was an evil king over Israel. We're going to talk about Herod next week, about the man who missed his Messiah. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. So now Joseph leads his young family away from Israel. Now they're refugees, if you will, in a foreign country. His experience is somewhat similar to his own patriarch, Joseph, the man whom he was named after. Remember, Joseph also had dreams. Joseph also went down to Egypt. And Joseph also ended up saving his own family. In taking their families down to Egypt, I think both of these Josephs saved their families from death and from destruction. And so later on, after Herod died, an angel of the Lord then appeared to Joseph in a dream in Egypt and said, here's, so now here's the third dream. Um, Joseph uh, apparently was very open to receiving revelations from God through dreams. He spoke to Joseph in a dream in Egypt and he said, get up, Joseph, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So again, what's the pattern? Joseph receives a revelation from God. It's time to obey. So he got up, he took the child and his mother, and he went to the land of Israel. Normally, they would have gone back to Bethlehem, to Judea in that area. Remember, Elizabeth at least had, or Mary had relatives with Elizabeth and Zechariah that were in the, land, in the area of Judea. But when he heard that Archelaus, now Archelaus is one of the sons of Herod the Great, and he wasn't any better than his father. So when Joseph heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, Joseph, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And so now they go back to Nazareth. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. You hadn't heard that town yet in Matthew's gospel. You hear a lot about it in Luke's gospel. So it was fulfilled that was said through the prophets that he, that Messiah, Jesus, would be called a Nazarene. And so Joseph remained there as Jesus' father until he died. He remained there until Jesus was at least 12 years old. 
Because the final record that we have of Joseph's life is he's leading his family, being a righteous Jewish man, he's leading his family every Passover season in early spring down from northern Israel to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices in the temple. Now, question that I have for us today. What legacy did Joseph pass down to Jesus? Remember Joseph's question in the movie. I wonder if I'm even going to be able to teach him anything. What do you think Joseph was able to pass on to Jesus? Well, number one, he passed on Jesus' legal name and his tribal heritage. Because Jesus, uh, to be Messiah, legitimately had to be a son of David. He had to be from the tribe of Judah. And that was Joseph, where Joseph was from. So he gave his legal name and heritage to Jesus. He gave Jesus his skills as a carpenter and a mason, right? It went way beyond working with wood. Carpenters in those days could be also known as masons or smiths as well as carpenters. And Joseph had many skills as a builder, and he taught those skills to Jesus. And so even though Jesus wasn't, quote, his biological son, Joseph accepted Jesus as his own true son. And Jesus was taught by Joseph how to make a living with his hands. I think Jesus learned from his father, Joseph, what tired muscles feel like after a hard day's work. I wonder what Jesus said after he hit his thumb with a hammer. <laughs> Ouch. You know, there, they, a commentary actually tried to give an answer to this. They said that uh, he probably said the word raka, because raka means like idiot or you fool. It was like one of the strong cuss words that I won't say that might be an English equivalent in our language today. But what did Jesus say when he hit, with his head with a, he hit his thumb with a hammer? So after Joseph dies then, Jesus was able, and this is the beauty of it, being trained as a carpenter by his father. Then after Joseph, his father died, Jesus was able to continue on the family business and he was able to take care of his own mother Mary until age 30 when Jesus put down those carpenter tools and he left Nazareth and he walked down to the River Jordan to be baptized by John the Baptist so Jesus could officially begin his ministry. So Joseph passed on to Jesus something else besides these things right here. Besides the skills as a carpenter, besides his legal name, look at number three. And I alluded to it earlier. Joseph passed on to Jesus his own willingness to endure criticism and judgment by identifying with Jesus. We don't really read about that explicitly in the Gospels, but it's implied. For the sake of God's kingdom, for the salvation of his people, Joseph, the carpenter who was a righteous man, he likely spent the rest of his days on earth having to endure the unjust condemnation of raising a bastard son, a son who to the rest of the community looked like he was born in sin. Until his own death, Joseph probably had to grimace every time he heard Jesus contemptuously referred to as, quote, you know him, the carpenter's son. Joseph was willing to be criticized and made fun of because he closely identified with Jesus. He took on a load of backbiting gossip and contempt for the sake of his Messiah. Now, what about you and me? Are you willing to be criticized because you identify with Jesus? You know, maybe nowadays in the 21st century in Sonoma County where we live, you know, being a follower of Jesus, in case you haven't noticed, it isn't very trendy around this place. Being, a, being known as a follower of Jesus and naming him as your Lord and Savior, it isn't very, quote, Sebastopolian, now is it? Well, so what? 
I say to that, I say, so what? Because that's not the main issue. What is the main issue here? Is it your popularity? Is it your acceptance from those who are skeptics about Jesus? Or is this question really the only question that matters? Is Jesus the Son of God? Was he conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin? Is Jesus the only person who had never sinned? Is Jesus the only person who came into and left this world miraculously? Is Jesus the only one who's qualified to give, to forgive you of all your sins? Did Jesus, was he the one who sent you his Holy Spirit to live in you and help you live a godly life? Has Jesus gone to prepare a place for you in heaven? Did Jesus promise to be with you always, to never leave you and forsake you? Because if he did, then he is worthy of all the loyalty and the love and the dedication that we can give him. And he is worthy of all the criticism and the, the rejection that you and I could ever receive in this life. Amen? Amen? Jesus said, blessed are you. Look at this in Matthew's gospel. Blessed are you. Blessed, happy, you have God's favor on you when what? <laughs> Not, this isn't the prosperity gospel, folks. <laughs> Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. I wonder if Joseph was mumbling to himself, great is my reward in heaven. Great is my reward in heaven. Great is my reward in heaven. Lord, when are you taking me? Because this is tough being in this community. Jesus also said this, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I, him will I also disown before my Father in heaven. Joseph acknowledged to everyone around him that he was Jesus' adoptive father. Joseph's character is that of this simple, honest, hardworking, God-fearing man who had great sympathy and had a big heart. And though Joseph did his best to keep the Jewish laws and customs, he was ready when the occasion arose to make himself subservient to the greater law of God's spirit. After his dream where God straightened him out, Joseph stood up for Mary and he married her anyway. He took Mary and he brought her into his home. And it was Joseph's wholehearted reconciliation to Mary, even in the face of misguided slanders by his neighbors, that is what is so impressive. How Joseph gave himself completely to protect and to save his new family. When he left all, left Israel, became a refugee in a foreign country in Egypt to escape the wrath of King Herod. That tells us that Joseph is worthy of the trust commended to him by God the Father himself. Take care of my boy Jesus. So friends, what's, what about us? What's our takeaway today from Joseph's life? What can we learn from his examples? Number one, we learn how to forgive rather than avenge. It takes a strong man to put away anger and resentment and forgive instead. You know, it's the typical proud, self-righteous person that when finding out that your fiance is pregnant, to just blow a gasket, to try to shame her in public, to try to avenge yourself, to try to make yourself feel bigger by making her feel smaller. And I think one thing we learned from Joseph, even before he had the revelation from the angel, was that Joseph was, was going to forgive rather than avenge. Joseph told, chose to forgive Mary. 
Instead of exposing her great sin, he decided to save her from public shame. And that compassion that Joseph shows right there, that didn't come from a weak and spineless man. That comes from a strong man who knows what it's like to forgive instead of to exact revenge. Number two, what's our takeaway? Number two is obey God when he speaks to you and trust him. On two occasions, even three by that dream when he was in Egypt, on two, at least these occasions, Joseph found himself in a tough situation. And at both times, when God gave him the revelation, Joseph did what the angel of the Lord commanded him. He didn't argue. He didn't fight it. He didn't delay. He didn't drag his feet. He followed God's direction. And then number three, and this is what is to me, what, what was the daily model of Joseph's life that I think is worth imitating. Be courageous when you follow God. The Christian life is not for the weak. Joseph put his own life in danger when he chose to follow God, when he chose to become Jesus' adoptive father, when he chose to marry Mary, when he chose to wed Mary, <laughs> uh, Jesus' mother. He didn't shrink back in fear. Joseph stepped forward in faith, and that is what is so admirable. Je Paul told Timothy these words, and I, nobody knew this better than Joseph. Paul said to Timothy, anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, anyone who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted. Paul should know. Paul experienced it himself. And there will be times like Paul and like Joseph when your own faith will be challenged. In those moments when your faith in Jesus is challenged, what will you do? Will you stand up for Jesus and your faith? We Christians, those who name Jesus as our Lord, those who choose to follow him, we Christ followers are not called to do easy things. We are called to be courageous. I'm reminded of that great old hymn that we sing, that we sing sometimes. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, you soldiers of the cross. Lift high his royal banner. It must not suffer loss. From victory unto victory. That's what we're called to follow, to stand up for Jesus. And men, I want to say this, you know, uh, in our lives and, and where we find ourselves, this is, this is just for the men. I know that it's not easy sometimes. Marriage gets hard at, at times. Sometimes it's not easy to stay faithful to your wife. Sometimes it's not easy to hang in there and raise godly children. Sometimes it gets tough to protect them and to provide for them when life gets hard and things go against you. And what I want to say to the men is we are called to do the right things not because they are easy, but because they are the right things. And when we do what is right, when we act with courage and not with fear, when we act with selflessness instead of selfishness, when we act that way, then that's when we honor God. That's when we earn the respect of our wives and our kids and our community. When we do what is right and courageous, just like Joseph did, there's where the blessing is. There's where God has called us to be. Let's pray. And I'm going to invite the choir to come up as we bow our heads for a word of prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, when we look at a profile like the life of Joseph, Lord, we see so many things that are worth imitating. A man of courage, a man who would forgive rather than avenge. A man who when you spoke to him, he was willing to be obedient to you. Knowing that he had the clear revelation from you, he did not hesitate. He said yes 
to what you were calling him to do. And Lord, what are you asking us to do? Lord, when you give us the revelation of who you are, when you say this is eternal life and this life is in his son and whoever has the son of God has life and whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Lord, when you give us the revelation of who you are and Lord Jesus, when you say turn away from whatever else you're doing, turn around and follow me. Lord, I pray that each one of us would have that yes spirit in our heart that says, Lord, if this is you and this is what you're calling me to do, then, I, then I'm going to forsake all others and I'm going to put my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ, the one who came to save his people, and that includes me, from our sins. Lord, I pray that our faith in you grows strong. I pray that we remain courageous in this holiday season. And I pray, Lord, that as we sing for you, whether on the caroling night or hand out invitations for our Christmas show. Lord, give us courage to represent you in the public world because you have represented us. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Help us to do that and to be brave and courageous. In Jesus' name, amen.